Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hello and welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. It's me, Martha, and also my dear friend, Ashley. (laughs) This is a little unusual because this is the first time we've ever recorded separately, hashtag social Mm -hmm. distancing, Um, because normally we can do hand gestures to guide one another behind the scenes. (laughs) So that's a little bit different. Um, Today in the wake of current events, we wanted to bring you a very special episode. And today we have an incredible guest. Her name is Parijat Deshpande. And she is, I I hope this is okay to say, a total celebrity to us because um, (laughs) uh, she has written probably one of the the most formative books about uh, high-risk pregnancy, uh, mind-body connection, and well-being. Um, She herself has had had high-risk pregnancy and a NICU stay. Um, She's a high-risk pregnancy expert now and also has a very popular podcast, which just recently came to an end, Delivery Miracles. Um, Welcome so much. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. You brought me to tears. <laughs> you totally are, though. I and There's been times yeah. just between our leadership team where we've exchanged episodes of yours or posts that you shared mm-hmm. just for encouragement with each other on a personal level. And, um, and, mm-hmm. and there's so many things that made me feel like I wasn't alone, like I wasn't crazy, like the, it was okay that I was experiencing what I was. So thank you so much for that. all you've done for our community. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Parijad, do you want to just go share your story about your high-risk pregnancy and NICU stay and, and what led you to become an expert in your field? Yeah, absolutely. So I became pregnant. I had my high-risk pregnancy after we had begun. We tried fertility treatment. I experienced a loss. And then we jumped to IVF, and that's where my high-risk pregnancy began. That chapter alone could be an entire episode, so we'll we'll skip over those details. Um, But the high-risk pregnancy actually was – it was very complicated. I developed my first complication before I even knew I was pregnant. And Mm. it was one of those experiences where, you know, we kept thinking it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It'll get better after the first trimester. It'll get better after the Mm -hmm. first, you know, and we were always looking for this new target, this kind of moving target of, okay, once we get there, everything will calm down. It'll get easier and it'll get better. And unfortunately Mm -hmm. that was not the case for me. I landed on um, bed rest. It was really modified activity restrictions. My reproductive endocrinologist, which was my fertility doctor said, eh, you know, just take it easy, stay Mm -hmm. home, hang out. Um, And it went from modified activity restrictions from week six into my pregnancy all the way through to the very end with increasing restrictions that ended in strict hospital bed rest. But and, And the reason for that was because I kept developing new complications over the course of my pregnancy started out as one at the very beginning, which I found out the same day that I um, found out I was pregnant. I was experiencing my first complication. And over the course of the next 12 weeks or so, I developed four more complications. And so by Mm -hmm. the time I was 22 weeks and four days, I had five complications already happening. And uh, one of them had thankfully resolved. But so there are four kind of active complications I was on bed rest at home. I had stopped working. I had no social interactions except for anybody who was coming over to visit me, which I'm so thankful for friends and family who would visit when they could. Mm-hmm. And at 22 weeks and four days, I landed in the hospital, three centimeters dilated. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments where you know, you're know you at that stage in pregnancy where there's really not a whole lot they can do. And yet there was some voice in the back of my head that night that said, I'm not going to wait this out at home. Something's not right. And we went to labor and delivery. I got checked out by the on-call OB and she said, you're three centimeters dilated. You're staying here for the next several days at least. They got me in Trendelenburg, which is a position where your feet are above your head. 
and really kind of going, we're going to give you some medication and we're going to let gravity help and we're going to cross our fingers and hope. Mm -hmm. And it was in the next morning. So I was admitted right about midnight. And so the next morning, my high risk OB, my regular OB came into the room. My OB had tears in her eyes. They were so sure I was going to lose this baby. And it was the most difficult conversations we've had. I think we could have ever imagined to have at that point of what do we do if I go into full-blown labor? What what do we do um, if, if baby's born? We're doing ultrasounds and tests and all of that. And it was in that moment that I said, you know, I can also feel the contractions are picking up when my body has tension in it. So you all do the medical things. <laughs> Give me all the meds. Let's figure it out. And I'm going to work on keeping my body tension free and we'll mm-hmm. see how far we get. I just I just knew that there was more than a couple days left. I, I just had this feeling. And so that's where I completely spent my energy and my focus. And I developed a couple more complications after that, but we did. I did stay pregnant longer than they thought I would. And I was able to help extend my pregnancy for 15 days. Wow. And it was at um, 24 weeks and five days in the blink of an eye, we went from everything's completely fine to baby's coming now. And so mm-hmm. my son was born at 24 weeks and five days. Uh, he came so fast. Nobody was ready. My husband wasn't there. Um, the NICU team wasn't ready. The uh, I, I don't even remember how many people were in the room. It felt like 400 people. It was very busy. Uh, but they, we found out later they, they grabbed him and they ran him to the NICU. They couldn't even stabilize wow. him in the room because they, it just happened too mm. fast. And then that began uh, our NICU journey, uh, getting to know a whole new set of people that didn't know us before. They'd heard of us and they'd seen my name on the board for for many days and they knew the case, so to speak, but they didn't know us. And I found that to be really challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we settled into our NICU uh, as our home. We knew we were going to, in best case scenario, we were going to be there a long time. So we settled in. We got to know the nurses. We got to know the doctors. And uh, the day after his due date, we got to bring him home. And it was that experience where, you know, really the seed was planted while I was on bed rest at home. You know, I remembered thinking, so my training is in clinical psychology. And I remember thinking, gosh, I am really anxious. I'm not an anxious person. And I am constantly anxious during this pregnancy. And I knew that if I went to see a colleague of mine, I knew what I would do as a, as a therapist for a client like me. And then I knew as now being the patient, that's not what I needed. And so the, the seed was really planted early in the pregnancy. And it was a couple of days before my son was born when I had a quiet moment in the room. Surprisingly, nobody was there. And I was able to speak to him, my, my son. And I said out loud, you know, if we survive this and we get to go home, I'm going to come back and help women who are going through this because nobody knows how to support this community right now. And it's not a a mindset issue. This is not about being more positive. This is about Mm -hmm. actually teaching women the power of our bodies to help us stay pregnant and to protect us against trauma and Mm -hmm. to help us regain our health and our sense of peace and sense of safety once baby Mm -hmm. is born. And so that that seed just kind of grew and grew. And after my son was big enough, when we were off lockdown and the medical appointments started dwindling a little bit more, is when uh, I started to actually look into turning this into an actual practice that I could support women through. And that's mm-hmm. that's where we are today. Wow, I think it's that's so, incredible. I, yeah, I think it's incredible that. Um, you were a mental health professional beforehand. So it's all, you were experiencing it subjectively and objectively, like at the same time, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you yeah. know, you <laughs> obviously from um, my talks with my therapist, she's, you know, uh, it's obviously you can know what the right steps are, but then to experience it firsthand is very difficult and you can't be a clinician for yourself. So it's right. so, I just think it speaks to, um, 
obviously a set of resiliency you had in yourself that that you were determined to to not only survive your experience but then to take it out into the world and make change for other women and again i i just think that's wonderful thank you thank you so much I, I, there's so many parts of your story that we could delve into, even just things that you say. And normally we do spend 45 minutes to an hour just asking people about their story. But for the, for the sake of time, um, I really think if possible, could, we could focus on what you've, you've said about trauma for, for NICU parents. Yeah. Um, so many of them walk into the NICU with zero understanding of what trauma actually is. Um, what PTSD actually is. Um, can you share perspective on on the trauma experience of NICU parents and and how those long-term exposure to stressors in the NICU might make the experience different from other types of trauma? I, I did remember, I re- right after we left the NICU with my daughter, reading an article you had written for Hand to Hold about mm-hmm. the misdiagnosis of trauma in NICU parents. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit because it's so interesting. Yeah. I think it really speaks to part of the reason, a really big part of the reason why I left the mental health field to do the work that I do, which is very somatic body-based. Because, you know, this idea is that there are a lot of people who get diagnosed with PTSD in the NICU. And the problem with that is PTSD is considered post-traumatic stress disorder, meaning you are post-trauma and there is something that is not functioning the way that it should, which is why it's a disorder. And I had a really hard time with with wrapping my head around that. And this is this is after being trained in learning how to diagnose people. And it really mm-hmm. wasn't until my personal experience with it when I said, wait, why are we why number why are we calling this a disorder? Number one. Um yes. because <laughs> What's happening right now is we as parents are in survival mode. What other mode would we be in if our child's life was in danger? That made no sense to me. And then it's the idea that you just asked about, about the long-term exposure of stressors, which is there's no one point in the NICU. Yes, there's the delivery and there could be trauma surrounding the delivery. And that's a concrete kind of very specific event that has a beginning and an end, certainly. But in the NICU those stressors are ongoing. So how can we say that you are post-trauma in the NICU? I don't agree with that. And can we even say you're post-trauma once baby comes home? Because there's a whole other set of medical trauma that comes with us outside of the NICU doors and follows us home. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of trouble wrapping my head around that, which is where that uh, blog post came from was one day I, I emailed them. I said, I've got to write about this because it's really bothering me. Uh, just because I wanted to get it out there to show, number one, uh, before anything else, I wanted to show NICU parents, you're not broken. There's actually mm-hmm. nothing wrong with you that you're feeling this way. The hypervigilance, the intensity with which we are paying attention to those details, that we're reacting very strongly to changes to care and changes to um, any treatment plans or what might be going on with our children in the NICU makes perfect sense because your child's not there to spend some extra time. Your child is there because there's something going on with their health that requires intensive medical care. And what other position, what other experience would we be having in that situation other than this, right? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my my biggest message that I want all NICU parents to hear, whether you delivered preterm or you delivered full term, wherever you were, whatever the circumstances were that, that took your child to the NICU and took you into the NICU, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you in the way that you are reacting. Now, that said... That doesn't mean we want to live in that state forever. And so Mm -hmm. our job in the NICU especially is to start mitigating the impact of those ongoing stressors because it is ongoing. You might be in the NICU for two days, two weeks, two months, maybe up to a year. We don't know, right? And so we want to make sure that your health is still being protected by that. And I think that is one of the biggest things that is very different for NICU parents versus people experiencing any other types of traumas. And there are NICU parents who have had other types of traumas prior to that experience. 
where the, the NICU has kind of two unique aspects. One is that it is certainly long term. And, and again, that could be days, weeks, or months. And two, that there, I believe, there is a certain kind of survival mode that we go into when it's our child's life that is in danger versus when it's our life. There's something very different. And I believe that's true even if you are not biologically related to your child. There's when there's a child's life in danger, it really puts us, you know, that example of mama bear really truly is very real. And it keeps us in this very heightened state of awareness and protectiveness that feels awful because you are constantly on edge and constantly alert, but it also makes sense that you're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. I'm already amazed at this episode. <laughs> I feel like this just 15 minutes has already changed my life in a lot of ways. <laughs> Um, and I mean, it's just, it's also because in our, in our private Facebook group that we have, it's not uncommon for moms to say, am I crazy for feeling this? Am I crazy for feeling this? Totally. And just even what you just said is, no, you are not crazy for feeling this. Like this completely makes sense. And not to backtrack, but when, when you first started sharing and you talked about, it's more than just being positive. It's more Mm -hmm. than just like, oh, think positive and it'll be positive. (laughs) Um, Really affirming that there is a lot happening within your body and that this completely makes sense why you are feeling this way. That affirmation alone is, is life-changing. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. It truly was the biggest message that I was missing, certainly. And and yeah. as you were saying, Martha, earlier with that kind of dual experience of being the professional and being the, the person, the patient, I wasn't getting it as the patient. And it, I knew that I was not trained to provide that as the mm-hmm. professional. And that was just, once I was kind of able to get out of this, I went, this is not right. We can't keep this narrative going of Mm -hmm. making women and parents and fathers and whoever it might be in the NICU feeling like they're crazy for feeling this way. It just doesn't, it just didn't compute to me. Why would we feel any other way when our child's life is in danger? It it made no sense to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I also think, and, and this is something, of course, our organization is advocating for and pretty much every professional I think in the NICU community is, is, is that every medical, uh, professional in the NICU and every um, social worker and physical therapist and occupational therapist should approach every NICU parent or family member as though they're experiencing trauma. And it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them because it is. And, um, and it's, uh, that's a, it seems really straightforward, but it is a very difficult thing. I think, um, for people to practice, especially when the parents aren't the patients. Um, yes. And it's yes. really hard. Yes. Um, it's it's so, I think, valuable for our listeners to hear what you're saying right now, because it's echoing mm-hmm. even more so right now, the sentiments that are popping mm-hmm. up every day in our support group. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how... Um, I think people don't understand too uh, the way that trauma affects our, our nervous systems. Yes. So I Agreed. function. Yeah, I functionally was, and I didn't know this until about you know, r- right after my daughter came home and I started pursuing um, therapy, uh, that I had experienced trauma for about four years straight. Right. I had right. a high risk pregnancy, a preterm delivery, a loss. Uh, fertility issues, uh, multiple reconstructive surgeries for my uterus, all these things, right? All this medical touch, this invasive medical touch. And I didn't allow myself to really address it. And I think that's what happens with a lot of NICU parents and NICU moms is you don't address it until maybe baby comes home. And then all of a sudden it, things crumble down because you're in a quote unquote safe space. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. It's almost like your your body gets the opportunity to reflect on, okay, we're not fighting for life anymore. We've got a minute and now we're going to fall apart. It's, yeah. you know, for any of your listeners who's read, who's read, um, who have read Pregnancy Brain, I use the example of being chased by a bear. 
which is exactly what happens is when we're being chased by the bear, which is what uh, that it's us being in survival mode, which is what trauma is when we're stuck in survival mode. We don't have the ability. It's not even the opportunity. It's also we don't have the ability physiologically to be introspective of what's going on and how is this affecting me and all of that. It's when we get to step aside, we find shelter in a cave when we know the bear's not there, we can catch our breath and we go, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? What have Mm -hmm. I been through? What has this been? And that's, I think, what you were saying is when you get home and things quiet down and things slow down and we have that ability to be safe for a moment when it all starts to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for many moms in our NICU community, the trauma doesn't, like you mentioned before too, the trauma doesn't stop when you come home no. because some babies come home with needed medical interventions mm-hmm. like oxygen or feeding yep. tubes. And yep. so, you know, in your experience, how have mothers that have came home maybe with a medically fragile child, how have, what's like a a way that they can process through their trauma when it doesn't really stop when they come home. Right. You know, I think one one thing that I notice is for women or for parents who bring home medically fragile children like we did also, it it doesn't stop, like you said. And it's that shelter example that we were just talking about doesn't happen for years. And mm-hmm. so we actually, I work with women who delivered you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, who finally go, oh, that's what I've been living with this whole time. Because it starts to feel very familiar. You get so Mm -hmm. used to functioning in survival mode that you stop even wondering, is there another way to, to live? And so everything that I teach about how do we get through this is it starts with you've got to feel safe again. Using that bear example, our number one goal is to get you into a safe shelter. Let's find that cave and give you some ability to reclaim and regain some safety again. Until Mm -hmm. that happens, there is not a single tool that you can search online. There's not a single technique that a professional can teach you that's going to stick. Nothing will work because you're in a mode where the only thing your nervous system, your body is looking for is safety. We've got Mm -hmm. to get away from this bear. Mm -hmm. And once we can establish that safety, then we can go into healing. But that has to come first. Wow. In this episode, we've invited uh, Parijat to be here specifically because of what's happening in our world right now. Uh, We're experiencing the global pandemic, COVID-19, the novel coronavirus. Uh, Her account, uh, which is, Parijat, can you remind me what the handle is for your, for high-risk pregnancy? Yeah, healthy.highrisk pregnancy. And uh, that account is providing critical resources right now for for women who have gone through high-risk pregnancies, uh, traumatic deliveries, NICU stays, uh, and talking about how those traumatic experiences might be triggered by what's happening in our current events right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why we wanted to bring her on here. Not, not in the, not to mention that she's a, an expert and we're just big, <laughs> we're fangirls anyway on the side. So. <laughs> How are you seeing this communal traumatic experience affect your your clients? What are you seeing that's new now for these women who are in high-risk pregnancies, who are in NICU, who are coming home from the NICU? How is it affecting them? Yeah, this is this is a really interesting time because we already have established, right, being going through a high-risk pregnancy, delivering preterm, or having a baby in the NICU preterm or full-term bringing a baby home, especially if they've got medical complications that come, that's hard enough. That's complicated enough. And now we're doing all of this in the context of this global pandemic with this virus in this world that we don't know a lot about. And there's so many opportunities for this to re-trigger women who are currently pregnant or have been pregnant in the past, who have had babies in the NICU in the past, who are raising children with medical complications. You know, the biggest thing that I see is within this context, we are finding all of the wounds that have not yet healed because it is re-triggering all those spots in so many ways. And the way that I see it coming up with my clients and my community members specifically is through body memories. 
So mm-hmm. it's not uh, necessarily a, a mental memory because we can talk about those pretty easily for many of us. So we can say, oh, here we go again with the Purell. Huh. Haha. Good. Good thing we got practice with this. There's that level of it. And then there's the deeper level of going back into the mode physically of doing anything and then going and Pureling your hands, going, uh, walking down the street. And as soon as you see a person crossing over, all of this is happening outside of our conscious awareness. We're kind of digging back into these literal body memories that we have that we have not healed. Similar Mm -hmm. to when you ride a bike, we don't have to think about how to ride a bike if it's been 10 years since we've done it. It comes back to us through body memories. And the same thing is happening here in how we're functioning in our world, checking respiratory rate all of a sudden, starting, you know, staring at your child's chest again. Are you breathing? Okay. Looking at the colors of the lips, checking temperature consistently. It's just the way that we are physically getting through our days that are bringing back up, oh my gosh, it's this again. And it Mm. triggers the same survival mode that we lived in weeks, months, or years ago that we may have thought we were over, quote unquote, over. And now because of what's being required of us to stay safe and healthy during this uh, COVID-19 time, we are now re-upping, kind of going back into those body memories and finding all those places that are still fresh wounds, actually, and not truly healed. Yeah. And I... If I can just add to that, something I've noticed uh, in our online support group and in conversations with other moms, there are some other triggering factors that I wouldn't have even thought about two weeks ago when we really started hearing about it more consistently. Things like uh, loss of financial security, access to good health care, isolation in, you know, both medical isolation and feeling of being alone in your circumstances. And then Mm -hmm. also a huge one for us is having to defend and explain your parenting choices for your immunocompromised child to Mm -hmm. close family members and friends. Um, Those are things that we're seeing a lot of too. It's, It's pretty wild. Absolutely. I mean, the overlap is unreal how similar it is to the way that many of us had lived so many months or years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You had already, you know, one of the questions we had written down was how does this echoing the the trauma that we experience in the NICO, but you've already brought that um, brought that up quite a lot. Um, I'm wondering, and I, I didn't have this written down before, but you've brought up nervous system and the somatic nervous system a little bit too. When you talk about how we're having body experiences that are echoing trauma, can you talk about, you know, what is the, what is the science behind that, the, the mind-body connection? What does that look like and what it might feel like for women and, and um, for parents of, of NICU kids? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, I think one of the common things we think of is, oh, when I'm traumatized, I'm having flashbacks and nightmares. And that might be happening for some of you who are listening in, certainly. But what I'm seeing more often is kind of what you were mentioning earlier is the, is the very nuanced way that this is showing up for people. So when we talk about trauma, I'm just going to go back to this example for a second, is our body is fantastic at identifying danger. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. It's it's required for us to be alive, to be able to find danger. We had already been through that, right? I'm just going to take, let's say there was just one experience. I know that's not the real reality for most people. It's con, kind of consecutive traumas that happen. But let's just take one. Let's say you had a baby in the NICU. And that's that's what happened. You were in survival mode. Your 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 actual body recognized danger. It put you in survival mode and it kept you in survival mode. And when we get stuck in survival mode, that's what we call trauma. And, and by stuck, I don't mean this is by choice. This is not something you have done on your own or that you're choosing to be there or you want to be there or you're, you know, none of that. It's truly happening outside of our conscious awareness at a cellular level. We get frozen in that state. And then over time, perhaps you've done some work to to release some of that trauma or perhaps you haven't and either way until it is released it is it's like a rubber band and it's very easy to get swung right back into that frozen state of survival mode 
And when something like this happens, when we've got this virus here and we've got this new lifestyle that we're asking the world to follow and there's so much uncertainty and there are there could be potentially huge consequences for us, for our children, for our loved ones, it's very easy to get rebounded right back up when there is still unresolved trauma uh, because it is familiar and because that that rubber band hasn't, so to speak, broken uh that that it's still very much there's tension there and we kind of go back to what's familiar and that's where those body memories come come from is it's like riding a bike it's when it's familiar that's what we resort to when we are in survival mode we cannot think uh clearly this is this is not a personal attack on anyone this is actually physiologically we cannot think clearly we cannot formulate uh easily cannot formulate complex thoughts. We cannot retain information deeply when we're in survival mode because it's not necessary to do so to survive. And so what we rely on are these body memories. And this is how it shows up in our inability to say to sleep. We show uh, it shows up in difficulties with digestion. You might notice you've had some digestive issues recently, heart palpitations, uh, trouble breathing. Um, You might feel like your chest is being kind of wished really hard by a vice, uh, chronic pain goes up, uh, migraines go up, we see a um, resurgence of autoimmune symptoms that that may come back up. I mean, there's so many different ways that this is showing up for us. Uh, you might notice that you're suddenly very jumpy and the smallest sounds make you very jumpy. And I will add that you might be feeling the opposite. You might be feeling If none of that's resonating, you might be feeling completely exhausted, totally run down. The fatigue is unreal. You're sleeping, but it's not restorative. And you're feeling hopeless, possibly. That could be showing up emotionally. You could be feeling really down. And that's not necessarily depression, but it looks and feels a lot like it. What that is, is our nervous system going, we've been on ultra high for weeks, months, or years, now this thing is dumping on top of it. And now we're going into shutdown. Shutdown means this is the only way to survive. Now we cannot be in that hyper aroused state. We are now shutting down because we are overloaded. Now we're still in survival mode and that shutdown state. So it's not like we're relaxing or repairing or feeling Um, restored in any way. It is our nervous system going, we can't sustain it at this level in this way. We're going to now go into overdrive in terms of we're overriding the overdrive and shutting down because we we just can't sustain it the other way. So it shows up in a lot of different ways. And I, I think the best way to recognize it truly is, has something changed? And do I feel similar to what I, how I did before or has something changed and it's kind of cluing me in that something's going on because that's likely what's happening behind the scenes here. Wow. Not to um, make it about me for a second, but it is Make it about you. I'm so <laughs> pearl making it about Ashley. <laughs> Uh, It's really fascinating because, like I said, Silas would have came home a year ago tomorrow. And so it's interesting how basically how we came home a year ago is how we're living today. So when he Mm -hmm. came home, we were still paranoid about germs. We Every time we came home, we Purell'd everything or Clorox wiped everything. We didn't go to grocery stores. We didn't do any of these things. And it's really fascinating to me how it's exactly how it is tomorrow, today, how it was a year ago. And um, it's also fascinating just talking about the symptoms you were mentioning because it's exactly the fight or flight that my body was experiencing a year ago again today. And it's also fascinating because um, when my husband came, when we came home from the NICU, my husband developed an autoimmune disorder of uh, celiac disease. It flared Mm -hmm. up the moment we came home. And just last week when COVID started to really develop, he had a major flare up of his celiac disease. And so it's fascinating hearing you talk about these correlations and just what happens in our body because, um, sorry, (laughs) I'm getting a little emotional, but it's, it's uncanny, the similarities between the two. Yeah. And how our bodies respond. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's unique. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. And I think this is a great opportunity to remind all of the listeners that the example that you just shared, it really shows that we're not doing this to ourselves. You're not being ungrateful. You're not being too negative, overly pessimistic. You're not like none of that. You're not wanting to live like that again. This is happening without us choosing it to happen because it happens in the part of our body where we can't access it by choice. It is our body's way of saying there's danger here and we're going to react accordingly. Now, the fact that we have these symptoms doesn't mean we can't do anything about them, of course, but I really want listeners to hear that and say just that if, if, if this happened a year ago, six months ago, uh, or in our case, seven years ago, and it's still coming back up, it's, it's not you, you're not broken, you're not being, you know, crazy or anything like that. This is your body's way of saying we're back in survival mode and it's time to find safety again. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think because this is such an, an, an unusual communal experience, right? Um, you know, people, it's the most comparable thing we can think of is maybe like a world war because um, yeah. it's affecting everyone in the world simultaneously without uh, any dis- discrimination. So that's, this is kind of really an interesting and unusual time. Um, and one of the kind of the bizarre outcomes I think of it is that everyone in the world is getting a crash course in, uh, trauma <laughs> right now yes. because it is, tra- it is traumatic. And well, it, uh, just like Ashley said, I feel these symptoms. I feel it reoccurring in my body. Yeah. I also, um, am starting to see because I have done this work too, that I can, also be a support for other people in a way and help walk them through and identify and see, you know, I'm having a common experience with someone who's having trauma that wouldn't have understood my NICU experience before. Totally. Uh, and, and that has been really, really powerful. I have a dear friend who has been having terrible anxiety, a flare above anxiety. And I think she and I have been able to be vulnerable and connect in a way that we never have before. Um, too. And to what Ashley was saying, I think the the most important thing for our listeners to hear is, oh my goodness, it is it is out of your control. This is happening to you. It's not something that you can prevent from happening. But most importantly, you are not alone in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so many others are here too. And I and I would hope that that feeling of connectedness would would also would bring a sense of peace and maybe add to that layer of safety, the getting us back to a part of the cave, you know, or building up a cave from scratch. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. There healing cannot be done alone. We need a community and that community can be one other person uh, or it can be your neighborhood or it can be your family or it can be, you know, really anybody can be strangers on the internet. It's, it, healing cannot be done alone. And while this is all happening and we cannot control the virus and what's going on, we can, what is in our control is the ability to find that safety, to find that connection, to get our bodies to a place of feeling like we've found that cave and we are safe. It's so that as things are developing and we're learning more about what's to come, we can experience it without it turning into trauma. Mm-hmm. So to jump into that a little bit, what are some baby steps or what are some practical steps that a mom experiencing these triggers can implement now that can help them journey through this COVID journey well? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we talk about trauma, you know, we've been talking about it as this perception of danger. And I hate, I hate the word use perception because it it's implies sometimes that you imagined it and that's not true. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it is essentially – it's. our brain perceiving danger. And then we load in that survival stress to keep us safe. And that survival stress becomes frozen in our bodies. That's trauma. And so if we know that, we can actually approach this unique situation uh, very mindfully, very carefully. And what I mean by that is Usually when that perception of danger happens and we get loaded with that survival stress, it's something we call it as something happened too soon, too fast, and it was too much all on our systems, right? And so this is a great way of titrating, so to speak, our experience here. So if you notice that 
signs, you know, your body is kind of tightening up, going back into that survival mode, whether it's a heightened awareness or it's that shutdown that we talked about earlier. It's a really good sign to to learn how to titrate what's going on much more carefully. And what I mean by that is uh, limit how much you are receiving information. I mean, it's everywhere. Anytime you turn on your phone, something is beeping about something related to coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So how can you limit that? How can you limit access to information? Can you turn your text reminders off for people who are constantly texting you information, um, emails, you know, being limited about that? Similarly, how can you decrease the amount of pressure on you right now? I mean, a lot of people are in a situation where they're having to handle work and schooling from home and taking care of children. And especially if they've got medical complications, that's ongoing as it is, that can be too much on our system. So how can we spread that out? How can we make that less intense on the system? What can you cut out from your day to day? One of the things that I really love and that I teach in our our community, the Healing Hearts community, is about when we get into survival mode, what happens is we are we disconnect from our senses. And that there's a reason for that. You don't need to hear the sound of chirping birds when you're running away from a bear. It doesn't matter. And so we actually physiologically can't access that. And so learning how to reorient yourself in your environment using the five senses can actually physiologically make shifts in your body to help you learn how to feel safe again. It's a really great first step in getting you out of that that survival energy into um, finding that cave, so to speak. And I would imagine that because the stressors are so frequent and so prevalent, that those tiny baby steps are things we'll have to practice many times a day. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If there's if there's one thing that listeners take away from this, there's no one magic cure for trauma release. Uh, it doesn't work that way. It is about retraining. It's like going to the gym back when we were able to go to the gym. It's, it's You can't just you know lift weights once, once and then say, hey, I'm done. I'm strong. Uh, and you can't, you know, think about lifting weights and say, hey, I'm strong or anything. You have to actually practice it over and over and over and really build that muscle to to regain strength in your muscle. The same thing happens in our nervous system. It's something you have to practice and integrate into your day-to-day life multiple times a day. So you become familiar with safety versus being familiar in uh, survival. So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about a very very special part of our population, which is the women who are pregnant right now. Women who may have high-risk pregnancies, may have had traumatic births in the past, uh, may have had NICU stays in the past. I know there are women in our NICU community who are pregnant again, um, and we're worried already about what their delivery and newborn experience would be like. And now we know that different states and different hospitals are taking extreme caution and aren't allowing families to be together during delivery, aren't allowing uh, spouses or partners to be present um, during delivery, uh, are separating NICU babies and their parents immediately. This is an unprecedented and really frightening time for these for these women. Yes. What encouragement and wisdom and guidance would you give them at this time? What are you telling your clients? Yeah, you know what we're we're talking about this a lot in the last week. And the biggest source of hope that I can tell you is the more you practice feeling safe now, the easier it's going to be to feel safe when you go into delivery, when baby is born. And once you have the uncertain, whatever is going to happen once baby is born, hopefully baby's healthy and you'll be able to be connected immediately and you'll all be able to go home together as planned. And for many of your listeners, I'm sure you know that we are all very familiar that that doesn't necessarily happen. And mm-hmm. so the the more you practice that actually changing your physiology during pregnancy, it will, one, protect your pregnancy from by lowering your risk of pregnancy complications. And two, it will take you into labor and delivery to have uh, an increased chance of an uncomplicated labor and delivery. And three, it will keep you in a place neurologically where you are able to uh, kind of 
accommodate, so to speak, whatever comes your way once baby is born. If we are already in that heightened state now and we take it into labor and delivery with us, we know that it does affect how long we are in labor and how easily delivery happens and how easily baby comes. And then also it will follow you postpartum as we are all very familiar with. So if you can do that now, you can actually, I'm describing it to my clients as actually creating this force field around yourself so that yes, all these things are happening. There's so much uncertainty. It's your body is being protected from that so that your head is able to make the difficult decisions that might lie ahead. Beautiful. Um, One thing that I wanted to ask your opinion on too is um, we recently did a post on our Instagram talking about that it's okay to acknowledge that this is not how this was supposed to be. So for many NICU moms, springtime is usually a time when you can finally get out of isolation and start to be more active in your communities or, you know, for pregnant women, you know, birth is supposed to be this magical time with your family and bringing a baby home and things like that. How crucial is acknowledging that this was not how it's supposed to be? Um, How crucial is that in regards to the healing process, in regards to healing from trauma? Oh, I love that you asked that. It's absolutely essential. There is so much to grieve and mourn with the losses that we are experiencing that are non-death losses and that are just as important to grieve and mourn because our body retains them and experiences them the same way. And so, yeah, this is not how it was supposed to be. And it is you are absolutely allowed and you absolutely should acknowledge that for yourself. Give yourself the permission to mourn the losses that you are having, the inability to have a baby shower, the inability to have maybe your partner in the room when you're delivering, the inability to actually enjoy springtime. You're absolutely right. There's like a date in our heads and we're finally free. And that may mm-hmm. not happen this year. And and to absolutely give yourself the permission to mourn that Uh, there's no need to compare. Well, that's not as hard as I've been through or I've been through worse or anything like that. This is your reality. This is everybody's reality right now. And given the context of whatever it is you've been through, this may hit harder than you expect this time of year because of the cumulative effect of all the traumas that you have been through. And healing, if you can imagine, I've used the word stuck or frozen several times. If we can thaw that out, what happens is that grief just melts out from us. And that might look like tears. It might look like anger. It might look like frustration. It might look like something, but it's at least coming out of our body and is no longer being kept there. And that is the essence of healing. So absolutely give yourself that permission to acknowledge however big or small you may think it is, it's still very real. So give yourself the permission to acknowledge that and really release that. Oh, you're so wise. Yeah, I just want to call so you wise. once a week and yeah. <laughs> ask her questions. I had this dream Honestly. about all calling out. What does it mean, Parijat? <laughs> well, and I just want to reiterate that I just, we have so appreciated your account for so many reasons, but especially oh, yes. now because we see so many very well well-meaning um, mental health specialists on Instagram or whomever that are giving lots of tips, right? It's like, yeah. oh, if you do these five tips, you'll feel better. But like you mentioned, there's this whole other layer of trauma and it just doesn't go away with tips. And so I, we just want to reiterate just how important your work is and how you are really validating the NICU community or high-risk pregnancy community so beautifully because um, when the tips don't work, like they people say they will, you can feel like you're going crazy. And so- yeah. We appreciate that you're acknowledging the fact that there's a lot more going on than mm-hmm. tips can fix right now. And so yeah, thank you so much for, for what you're doing to honor moms everywhere. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And quickly before you go, if you have just a wealth of resources on your website, and would you mind just talking a little bit about um, – your podcast, your book, and the Healing Hearts program, because I think those could be great resources for for people who need them right now. Absolutely. So the podcast is called Delivering Miracles. I'm really drawn to, you know, the the corner that 
I find myself in that nobody talks about. So that's what we talk about on that podcast. Um, the parts of family building that are hard and difficult and challenging and maybe not so pleasant to talk about with your friends. So anything from infertility, loss, high-risk pregnancy, bed rest, prematurity, and then healing afterwards, whether baby comes home or not, we've covered both of those. So there's uh, many, many resources there. And the book Pregnancy Brain, A Mind-Body Approach to Stress Management During a High-Risk Pregnancy is all about you know, kind of dives a little bit deeper into the physiology of stress and how it impacts pregnancy, how it's not your fault. Uh, it's not at all. It's physiologically just it's not possible to be your fault and how you can release some of that. And I actually have a, um, a pregnancy brain course that's coming out in a couple of weeks that's going to take that level of uh, release through pregnancy even deeper for a lot of our women and clients and women in our community who are really stressed out right now about what pregnancy means and what delivery means in the context of hmm. the novel coronavirus. And then Healing Hearts is for our women who are ready to heal and recover. Um, healing should not be happening during pregnancy just because of the delicate balance of our nervous system and endocrine system and immune system. But this is for women who are not currently pregnant and are realizing that there's just so much that's uh there are wounds that need to be healed there's a whole experience where we've been living in survival mode and we're ready to come out and uh, it's just this beautiful beautiful community of women from all over the world who've come together to just learn how to reclaim their health and their safety and their life so that's healing hearts um, and all the links to all of that are on my website beautiful and we will absolutely link those um how they can how our listeners can connect with you and potentially work with you in our show notes as well because your resources are so valuable we want to get them to as many moms as we can yes. <laughs> so much yeah honestly it's such a delight to see your posts come up in my feed i'm just like alone in my bed eating ice cream and i go yes <laughs> yes my husband checks in to make it. sure I've not lost it. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I love it. I feel like we landed at a really beautiful ending. Do you have any other additional thoughts that you'd like to add? I, I think if there's one other thing I can add is just one last message of hope. Yes, please. This is not your forever. How you're feeling right now is not your forever. And that's not determined by what happens in the world. That is truly determined by when you can feel safe again and you can feel safe again and you can heal. You are protecting your family. You're protecting yourself. You're doing a fantastic job. You are not broken. And when you're ready, it is absolutely possible to heal from this. There's so much hope. Thank you so much for being with us, Parijat. You are an angel. No one deserves you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I love it. Well, as always, mamas, we will link in our show notes how you can connect. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that this podcast episode just gave you so much hope. And like Parija mentioned, this is this is not how it will be forever. And so you are not crazy. And most importantly, you are not alone. If you are feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling triggers, you are not alone. And so we hope that this episode just encourages you today. Thank you so much for listening. And we will talk to you guys next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.